Hi guys, here we are this afternoon with uh, Joseph Sancio, uh, COO at Supervest. Joseph, how are you? Good, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Well, look, it's uh, yeah, great to have you here. I'm um, looking forward to learning about um, what you guys are doing at Supervest. And uh, yeah, how's everything going stateside? It's good. It's good. Busy. I know everybody's a bit concerned with the markets, a little bit of a tumultuous time, but I will say the alternative investing space, uh, sans crypto for that matter, is is doing fairly is doing fairly well. Yeah, I, I think again, I've got to be careful what I say and like so I'm not giving any advice, but in terms of like the equities market, I kind of think it's gonna be a good year. So I I think everybody always hopes that I, and I do say I'm, I'm not going to be, a, I guess as the kids say these days, an, an ultimate hater, but I think everybody could agree that the 60-40 portfolio of equity and bonds is pretty old hat right now. And with technology, um, there's a lot of access to other types of investments out there. So whether it be, for example, in our space, MCA loans, I mean, real estate, art, farmland, you name it, you could honestly find a fintech company or an investment platform that offers investors the accessibility to invest in almost anything they want. So that's, there's really no need to stay within that 60-40 model anymore, and at least add a bit of diversification away from the stock market to non-stock market correlated assets that provide a bit more return or at least a bit more consistency within your portfolio hedging your bets if you will yeah i've got to say i mean i'm the way the world's going i just i'm just more and more com uh confident in in equities um that that's kind of my thing but i mean in terms of super vest um so you know what are you guys focusing on you know in terms of like right now what, what what's the what are the goals for you Sure. So we we do not do equities. We are one of those uh, asset classes I talked about that's non-stock market correlated or as much as possible. So we operate within the merchant cash advance space. And what that means is essentially small business loans. So there are tens of millions of companies out there that need short-term financing and, and loans. So that's a essentially, in a nutshell, an, an oversimplification of what a merchant cash advance is. Our platform, though, and we carry about six different <clears throat> investment professionals that total almost, geez, over over 120 years of experience within the MCA space at this point. And through technology and our our co-founder, Chris Keeler, they've built this amazing platform in Supervest that allows individual investors, so your retail investor, even RAs and institutions, to access investment opportunities within the MCA space. So essentially they're the ones providing, the investors are the ones providing the capital to funders for these MCA loans, but they're also earning interest on those loans themselves. So again, it's products like our 12% note. So it's a two-year, so midterm two-year note that earns 12%, a target rate of 12% annually. And then we also have our self-directed product. This is for the more, I will say the more sophisticated investors, the ones that really do want that nitty gritty control, you're building your own criteria set for your investments within the MCA space. You're picking FICO ranges, <clears throat> sub-asset classes, um, and going from there. But that we've seen target returns there from anywhere from 15 to 
and with daily remittances, uh, your principal and interest is always flowing back. I mean, what, what sort what sort of uh, investments really are making like that sort of interest? And and in terms of also with regards to like startups right now, how easy is it is it for them to get hold of capital? Uh, so with that being said, this is it's going beyond the startup space. Like I said, it's it's not VC um, VC investing or private equity or anything like that. These are truly traditional small business loans within the merchant cash advance space. So. You're thinking areas like trucking, beauty, um, literally any anything grocery, anything sure. beyond that. So that being said, though, it's you hit the nail on the head of like, where else can you earn those types of returns? So obviously, if you are a savvy investor and you're going to the, like you said, the stock market equities, you're going to do your research and you're going to look for those maybe quick hit gains that are up and down very quick or long-term plays but within that i mean <clears throat> again even within the alt space real estate is a little shaky now again personal opinion this is just from my own research i think everybody's kind of waiting for the the floor to drop out under our feet for for the real estate market and treasuries are obviously up i think the two-year treasury bond is around like four and a half percent our two-year note um has a target of 12 percent so almost 3x that obviously there is a difference in risk okay. but that's i mean with anything cool but that that i mean that that, that must, i mean correct me if i'm wrong but that must be quite a significant difference i mean between like two percent and twelve percent 100 percent, and there are other companies that offer uh short term where i said our note is more of a midterm product at two years but there are companies that offer short-term notes anywhere between six and twelve percent but at that rate, you're looking at four to seven percent annualized. So again, we're still coming out ahead on that. Sure. On that and side. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to say, I, I think in comparison compared to what the banks are able or at least willing to offer right now, um, it's, it's obviously significantly more. Um, but again, with that, it always comes the risk, right? Hundred percent. There's there's always risk, and there are no guarantees ever in across and that's across the board in any any investment any, ever any any investment ever. There that's why risk is, risk is always a factor. But that, that's why you know what I find amazing is just how confident people are either side of on like the Bitcoin spectrum, and you get people who are just like hardcore Bitcoin. It's going to a million dollars a coin. And you get others that are going to zero, that just adamantly it's going to zero, you know. And I kind of feel that we've we've lost that ability to evaluate because of the way in which uh, cryptocurrencies have kind of educated the younger generation in a very short space of time about investing. Yeah, and it's I think the pandemic played a played a significant role in this. It was it. There's two sides to every coin, right? No pun intended, but you have. During the pandemic, everybody wanted to invest. People needed, I feel like it was an urge of people needed something to do or it lit a fire under their behinds that they need to save for that rainy day or start putting their money to work, whether it was stimulus checks and getting, or just being at home and not spending money on going to a movie or going out and to dinner and whatnot. So that was awesome to see more and more people being involved. But I think, 
there was a downside to that as well, that the idea, and this is something we preach very heavily just because of our space, but financial education is one of the core pillars of our our model and really what we preach as an, as an organization because it's so important. And I think a lot of people did not, and a lot of companies in general have taken advantage of people wanting to invest more, but not pushing the like the aspects of financial education. And I think that that's obviously on the individuals themselves too, to go and learn and do that. I mean, for us, people coming into the MCA space, it's something they haven't experienced before. Some people have never heard of MCAs, but they see the returns, they see the products and they're interested. And one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is providing resources to them to educate themselves within the MCA space. But like everything else, I mean, how many people on Robinhood were trading options or on margin and had no experience doing that prior? Yeah, I mean, so with regards to... With regards to like the, the the retail investors, you know it is amazing the technological advancements and the fact that you can now as an individual trade options, but people can also lose their money like instantly, right? Oh, almost instantly, and the risk is definitely there. But I think the challenge, or at least my thoughts on it, are the the education is so key because otherwise people will turn it into gambling, or or they'll do what they did with GameStop which was uh, far more impressive. It's, and and I, I think you hit the nail on the head. At, at the end of the day, it's it's a very fine line between gambling and investing. And I think your most seasoned gamblers will say that they're actually not gambling because they're doing their research, they're doing their homework, they have their methodologies. Now, how, how many of those come out in the black at the end of the year is... Well, but you know, look, and that, that's the thing, though. Like, if you know, if you if you like, if you factor in like standard deviation, you know, on the extreme end of the spectrum for something like like investing, uh, or or gambling, e- either way, you know, you're going to get people that are very very good at it, and very very bad at it. Um, the ones who are very very good at it, are they going to be significantly better than the good ones, right? And the ones who are very very bad at it are going to be significantly worse than the bad the the average bad one, right? So. Uh, you know, um, it's also expectations too. And I think that was another thing. I, I, I won't say it was so much a positive or a negative. Um, I'll, I'll refrain from judgment on this one, but during, during the pandemic, so from 2020 to now, like three years later, people were very focused on that short-term quick hit return. And you, you mentioned it with the meme stocks, crypto overnight, you had people becoming millionaires and essentially this next generation of investors or first generation of investors for that matter thought that that's what investing was that i'm going to make one or two trades and boom millionaire overnight like a 3 or 6 month hold and i'm good when in reality that is a thousand percent well, not the case i i saw some young american kid on um twitter talking about you know, he, he said something like, if you don't have a Lamborghini, there's something wrong with you, pretty much. He was like, he was like, he was like, making money to buy a 200000 or 300000 or $400,000 car is easy. And that's the problem for the next generation. They're so oblivious to like the realities. And that is largely down to like the crypto markets. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's definitely something we've, we've worked through now in, 
my role at Supervest and previous roles I've had of crypto becoming, I mean, alternative investments have been around for jet, like millennia at this point. You've always had real estate and art, but now crypto has become the mainstay popular alternative investment. When you say alts, the first thing that comes to mind is crypto. And it's like, hey, there, there are other asset classes out there other than this that you don't have to rely on volatility or and a, a, a seemingly unregulated market at that point, at least for the time being. I mean, I don't have to dive into like what's gone on at FTX at that point and what the ramifications were on the market for that. We were talking to them a week beforehand. They were, they, they, they was, we were speaking with someone senior there. They were just saying how like they've got, they had a budget of nine, supposedly, $900 million for partnerships. So, you know, like, it's like, that, that's uh, insane. Like, you know, and, and I, I, I think, I think that's the problem now, right? The, the figures have become so astronomical. And I think, especially in the investing space, like, like the VC space, right? You, you have a startup with an idea and all of a sudden your idea is worth like $20 million. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, we saw a lot of money in a very short amount of time. And I I think now is a, a bit of a correction, but yeah, I mean, just the marketing budgets alone. So like literally speaking to my role, watching these companies almost come out of nowhere with 600, $900 million annual marketing budgets was, was wild. I mean, that's how oh, do you, again, how do you compete with that? You, I mean, you don't, but you, you wait for them to go bankrupt, basically. <laughs> you know, which, which is crazy. Did have you seen the um, <clears throat> going off slightly? Have you seen like the Madoff documentary on on Netflix? I have. I've seen the the Madoff documentary on Netflix. I also watched um, the the movie with Robert De Niro on HBO that they did a while back. Yes, yes, that was a that that was quite a few years ago. I remember that one. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for anything like that. The uh, oh, geez, the the WeWork show, the Elizabeth Holmes show, like they're in a Elizabeth all Holmes is a, Elizabeth Holmes is another one. Like how she was able to like infiltrate like the highest levels of society the way that she did. And when you when you hear interviews with like her like Stanford prof- her professors, they're like she wasn't even that good, you know. She, what are, I, I could be wrong, but, but that was—I mean—that's that's the theme. That's the theme, right? Like, and I, I think that was the role she was probably playing. Again, I'm going to refrain from judging. I'm not an expert or anything like that. Um, and I know where we're riffing here a little bit, but that's—I uh, kind of feel that that was the role she may have been trying to play of like the the college dropout. And that's she wants where to be the female to Steve Jobs is what they called her. You know, the exactly. And I mean, that's, that's probably a bit of with the SBF as well, right? Like how, like the, the, the lovable oblivious genius, uh, how, how real that is. I think, again, I'm going to, I'm going to let the courts decide on that one and what comes of this, but I, I it, won't. And he it's really interesting. It's a, it, it's a crazy time. He, he's a thief. I'll, I'll go out and say he, they, he stole that money. He stole that money. And what's incredible is the fact that actually, so, no, no one's no one's no one's able to say it to him. Kevin O'Leary, right? Who was actually someone the day before everything happened with FTX, 
I was actually singing Kevin O'Leary's praises. The way in which some of these like celebrities have come out and endorsed him is just crazy, right? Like whether listen, innocent or not, guilty or not, for these celebrities who are able to influence people in the way that they are to come out and endorse someone who is supposedly, you know, run off with billions, like is is horrendous. Well, and I think you're you're seeing that now in in the U.S. about regulating what in, like influencers on social media push out, yeah. and uh, it's again, it's it's something I, I saw the headlines and and scanned through it, but you have that that is the one case where the influencers are being held accountable for pushing pretty much investments and investment advice that they had no business doing that. Um, so there at some point, again, there, there may be a reckoning who knows with, with what's going, with what's going to happen. Um, I think at the time being for us, like we, we definitely always try to err as, as much on the side of caution and and being conservative and especially in, in these spaces. And I, I think that's, that is the one credit to a lot of your, your finance companies in general is you you've been at it for so long there's there's a model like the do's and don'ts and yeah. i mean and people see i mean again as someone that's worked in the industry they stick to it right for the most part you, you know there, there's a lot of like very very good companies out there yeah 100 percent. i mean it's it was really interesting starting to see a lot of your your bigger more traditional companies like the jp morgans and the goldman sachs of the world start getting involved in uh sports partnerships um, something they really, JP Morgan definitely has, but Goldman really hadn't only ever dipped a very, very small toe in at that point. And now they started coming out a bit more. I mean, facing recession talks or whatever, as of now, well, I'm sure budgets are changing, but it's, it's an interesting time. And I think it's all yeah. about market share and people trying to adjust their business models, especially at that level. I mean, when you've had so much market share for so long, you you have to diversify and try to keep up with the next generation and just bring in new new yeah. faces. Well, that, that, that see that it's interesting you mentioned market share because when you think about uh, the big tier two banks prior to the two thousand eight financial crisis, like they really did have market share. You know, now mm-hmm. I mean now we've obviously seen like the creation of like neo banks and. A million different like types of fintechs. It's it's creating huge opportunity, but it's also you know given the, the the bigger banks a a run for their money, to some extent, but also an investment opportunity to make sure that actually we can decipher between the good fintechs and the bad fintechs. So it's 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 an interesting time. But I mean, what, what what's you what's your background? What were you doing before Superfest? So before Supervest, I was working at another alternative investment shop called Yield Street. So was there for three years, was heading up um, brand partnerships, custom content, social media, <laughs> you name it. It's it's typically how startups go, um, but it was it was an awesome time. And then prior to that, I was at SeekingAlpha.com. Shout out to them for, I think, again, I'll, I'll be biased, but I think that's probably SeekingAlpha.com is easily your your best financial media site out there. Do you know, uh, again, yeah, I, I'm I'm not I'm not one to push companies on this track. I, I love Seeking Alpha, like it is sure. what a brilliant company. 
they're they're fantastic it's it's a phenomenal team great model been around i think almost two decades at this point and they continue to push the envelope but again that's no and and that's not a shot at any of the others within the industry i think oh. that you have you have companies like morning brew um stock twits they're finomize they're they're all really coming together and i think it's it ties into the theme of financial education i mean robin hood snacks daily that's a daily read for me i i love it i think they really tapped into the voice of the next generation um and then i guess rounding out my background before seeking alpha i, I spent uh six six or so years within investment banking and uh, institutional asset management okay okay um, well what was that again so was that oh wait I... That was stateside, right? You weren't ever working in London. No, always, always stateside. Uh, a couple of the companies I worked for were international, but I was always based um, in New York or New Jersey. I get you. I get you. And so, so I mean, in, in terms of like, in terms of Supervest, what, what's really next for you guys? What, what's the focus? Really, the focus is being a, and I, I hate this phrase. It's it's a bit overplayed, but I'm going to use it here. Best in class um alternative investment platform and i think we want to be the best at what we do and what we do is mcas so with that within that merchant cash advanced space that's what we want to do and really grow that business to a point where we are offering multiple products at multiple different terms and rates that give people options and really a chance at diversification in non-stock market correlated investments and again it's also helping from at this time like we do understand that the global economy and especially like we operate within the u.s economy is is facing a tough road ahead and small businesses and those merchants are going to need it mcas are going to be more and more prominent so we're we're really happy to be a part of that and really help pave the path forward for a lot of this industry and what what does your customer journey look like? So if they wanted to come on board and, and use your products? Great question. We actually just launched uh, middle of November. We just launched Supervest 2.0. So the entire logged in state of the user platform changed and was updated. So it is got it is far exceeded anything that we we had even intended to build. Um, our our co-founder. Chris Keeler, who's also our CTO, spearheaded that. And I, and I can't praise him enough for the phenomenal work that was there and just really the vision he had and bringing that to life. So that has been an ultimate tool, but the goal has always been to have this be a self-directed platform. And people can come to supervest.com, click sign up, and within seconds, they have their profile. And it's as easy. And again, it's it's free to sign up. So would encourage everybody to do that and go play with the platform. There's you do not have to link a bank account immediately or deposit anything to, to have an account. And you could take a look at the investments, how it works. And when if and when you are ready, it's seamless to link a bank account, submit accreditation docs, and you're off to the races. I always joke that we want to create the goal for our user experience is to have users be able to do everything themselves without ever speaking to us. Billy, the moment that somebody called, and if, and again, that's not to deter questions, but within the user experience of like, how do I submit docs? How do I link a bank account? If 
those are the questions we want to avoid because that means we're not doing our job properly. And I do truly think we are. So those are very far and few in between. But we're always happy to have a conversation to discuss MCAs and help with that financial education aspect. You know, after seeing how good like ChatGPT is, um, I, I, I think that I, I think everyone is just going to be in, integrating that for their customer service in the future. I, I mean, I'll I'll kick it back to you, and I'm curious within your your space and realm, like how how you're viewing AI tools like that. Are you using them? Um, are you afraid of them? So yes and yes. So yes, we're definitely using them. Um, I think ChatGPT has become our marketing assistant, um, research assistant. It, it's proving like very, very useful. Um, I think in terms of artificial intelligence, we set up this company, and like one of our one of our, the key reasons we actually started Rayon was because we felt we knew that. AI was just going to erode the jobs market. And I met with IBM back in, it was between like 2015 and 2017. Maybe that, oh no. Oh wow. Yeah, it was like, it was, it was a long time. No, maybe it was, it was a bit later than that. I can't remember exactly, but um, I, I met with them and we started talking about, you know, the fact that the jobs market is just going to be eroded. Um, I'm not a, an overly pessimistic person. And I think that I look at artificial intelligence as, and I, I was speaking with their the CTO or one of the CTOs there um, quite a few years ago about it. Look, we stand at a precipice. It's a choice. Do we use AI as an opportunity to create new jobs? I think we will. Um, I think there's really no cap on the number of jobs that can be created. But I also think that there's the opportunity to just erode everyone else's job. And I think particularly in London, I talk a lot about the um, I used to always like uh, whine on about like the, the the pay gap and the far, you know, at some it's the fastest way to really like destabilize society. Right. Create like a bigger and bigger like uh, pay gap. But um, the reality is it's the time gap because we all kind of live really rich. Like, sorry, for the most part, many live far richer lives now than they did 50 years ago. You know, my parents grew up in a time where. They didn't have a they didn't have um, a toilet in their house, you know. They would have to go. They, it, um, you know, my dad would have to go into the garden, or they would have to have like they'd go to a local place in like Stepney Green where they'd have a bath like once or twice a week, you know. I think how much technology has like changed the way we live our lives, and and I think that with something like artificial intelligence, it purely comes down to the application how we use it. But um, do I fear it? I, I think I think it's, it poses a lot of challenges, but I think it's also if when yeah I think if without the right leadership, like it could just which we don't have in the UK, yeah it could really cause a lot of problems. Like the, the jobs the the jobs could probably go far quicker than I think people realize. I think that's a really fair assessment, and on the side of technology, I think we've seen the advances of technology occur exponentially especially since the dawn of the internet i remember i had i had read somewhere that if you look at the time between the first like first flight and putting a man on the moon it's it's so short of a time period in between that i think it was like 60 60 some odd years between the two 
which is which is crazy to think right and now you look at the birth of the internet age and that has just fast-tracked us so far beyond anything we could have imagined so quickly i mean i i remember and i, I use this joke a lot but i remember teachers in elementary and middle school saying like you're not a, you have to do all these math problems on paper and i think i was better for it probably at some point but like oh you're not going to have a calculator on you at all times and i just laugh and like hold up my cell phone now and i'm like i literally have the world's wealth of knowledge in my pocket Everything. at all, to- at all times yeah yeah Everything. and <laughs> adding ai into that at this point i mean I look at it from both sides, right? What are the, and I try to be as positive as possible in most situations. So I look at it from a marketing perspective. AI is another tool for marketers to use. It makes us more efficient. You still need the creative at the back end, pulling the strings. So you need that original blog post written, that original video, the original script. However, you can use the AI tools to enhance them, to write social media posts and just to really start developing ideas and concepts further and further and further. So like you said, it is like a virtual marketing assistant in a way there. Now though. Now. So yeah, I guess exactly. And so here's the other side of it too, is that's the marketing piece. Now, what are we going to integrate AI into at that point? And how well is it going to develop? I mean, you're already seeing search engines with it um investment tools i remember i read an article about microsoft's investment in chat gpt and starting to integrate into its like office suites product so my mind instantly is like oh are you going to integrate this ai into excel why the hell did i spend so much time learning all these formulas in vba back in the day um even things like sql it's amazing what it could pull but you still need a base of knowledge or or else you're trusting you're blindly trusting something. Okay. Do, do, do you do you know what Zendesk is? Yes. <clears throat> okay. We use Zendesk. We use Zendesk at Supervest. Okay. I love Zendesk. So Emma phoned me up just before we jumped on the call. She was like, I've just got off the phone to Jan. Um, <clears throat> I've sent out like 70 emails today. And she was like, Jan's just told me I could have just done it all through Zendesk in like five seconds. She was like, what the hell? What was I doing? And I was like, don't worry about it. You know now for next time, right? But that's where we're at. Like, it's just, not not only does, actually, I'm going to say this, shout out to Zendesk, because that Zendesk is phenomenal. Phenomenal. And you're saving so much time now. I I think applied in the right way, AI is going to be exceptional. But are are you an animal lover at all? Yes. Okay. So think about how dogs or... All the above. All All of you above. Okay, fine. So, how lot? Okay, if you look at our human intelligence versus man's best friend against the smartest of dogs, right? It's a huge differential. How long before AI is looking at us the way that we look at our pets? I see that's okay. You're going down then. I'll have the the nerd moment of you're going down like the Skynet and (laughs) sentient being AI. I don't don't even mean sentient. Sorry, I don't even mean sentient. I just mean like actually like all the jobs that we say like, you know, it's, you know, you look at chat GPT now from a marketing perspective, it's really useful. 
but you know you still need a human behind it to like manage it and edit it and so forth you know um how long before it's actually learning exactly what your company needs it knows which social media to post it on it knows exactly what to post and at what time and in which groups right and it's actually writing everything completely um because that's going to happen well and i think that's that's really the intersection of a useful a useful tool versus us actually being a slave to the the software the intelligence oh. at that point and i i think we've seen this with generation the la- like the last few generations I, I guess it started with millennials because we were the ones that grew up in the beginnings of the age of computers where you have gen z that have never known a world without cell phones so i think that it's uh, i can give an example like gen z doesn't know what it was like to have to go to a library and like go in an encyclopedia and, I had this discussion. Re- I had this discussion recently. Isn't that yeah. mad? Like when you think about that. And then even I remember, even for us, like we didn't have Google for so many years using <clears> computers. <throat> I remember being like sixth, seventh grade, trying to do a research report on a computer, and it <laughs> your search engines are terrible. Like everything wasn't built at that yeah. point. So there, there is that aspect of <clears throat> does, it, does it dumb down everybody's knowledge base or? Does it just change that knowledge base, hopefully for the better? I, and again, it's it's everything else. Like they said when the people would walk everywhere before the bicycle was invented and then cars and whatnot. And everybody was afraid that they're going to de- devolve at some point. But you still carry on and get better yes. as a society. So as long as, and, I, and again, this is me being probably more of an optimist at points but i think there are downsides there are potential risks in everything but hopefully the powers that be and everybody there has the best intentions we know that's obviously not the case all the time but i think that's something to do and we've seen i mean even our company has been instituting machine learning into our our systems obviously that's vastly different than ai but it's still meant to really within and enhance the investment experience more than anything so it's to make it more seamless it's to make it more accurate and and essentially just better overall so sure i think there is definitely an aspect of ai that with every new tool and every new system every new company there's always the case for either job creation or job destruction at that well, point i mean we could say that about everybody that's come along look at what facebook essentially did to every media company out there and and i mean just the age of the internet did what to newspaper companies but you adapt you overcome and you try to figure yeah, it out yeah. so cre- it also created new jobs but i mean seeking alpha, right seeking alpha is a great example yeah. And seeking off, I mean, it was really, they were the first ones to have a crowdsourced media network. For is that the what it was? That is. Um, CKF, yeah. They, they employ scores, scores of senior editors, but all of the content is user submitted. Now users, any user can submit content for publication in seeking alpha, but their editorial guidelines are very stringent. So you have to get that content past the editors, but it is open. It is open for the most part. So obviously moderating and whatnot, but it's 
it's close to unfettered content. And I think that, and the concept there that the founders had for it was, was pretty valid of that. You can get the most, the best investment base and knowledge from that because you're hearing both sides of it. There are people that are bulls and there are people that are bears. I, I remember Tesla was a huge I mean, it's still a huge thing now, but Elon was like the start of Elon being in the news and Tesla back then. And I was at Seeking Alpha when he did that. He put the tweet out of like, we're going private. Um, And it it was wild to see both sides coming together. But you always find the truth is somewhere in the middle, probably. And and that helps. And I mean, now they like Seeking Alpha has definitely integrated like their quant model and the rating system. Um. So shout out to those guys that that built it. It's a phenomenal tool. But again, I think I that's why I hold them to, a, I guess, a higher standard than others because it, it is totally on. Un- I, I, I genuinely rely on them for like um, information like Palantir. And there's actually there's another there's this young company called Danton's Media. This the CEO of the company is a young guy, Christian Danton's. He wrote this paper on Palantir. That was so brilliant. I kid you not. If Palantir got hold of it, they could actually use it in their company training. And for anyone that actually doesn't understand Palantir technologies, again, it's it's just so. Yeah, I get it. Completely creates opportunity. But um, one funny story I'll say about Tesla. Um, in two thousand nine, I worked with this like a uh, guy in again in the asset management world, and he was like, "There's a new there's a new CEO up and coming." You know, they're going to they're going to float the company in a couple of years. Um, and uh, he was telling me about Elon Musk. I was like, oh, I didn't think anything of it. He was like, when they float, he's like, buy shares in this company, buy shares in this company. And I was I was actually going to do it. His name's Carl. I, honestly, I, have, I still think about this. And um, he um, I was at home. And I saw this like um, Jim Cramer episode and Jim Cramer was like, do not touch this stock. And I, you know, it's <laughs> it's going to zero. I, he said something like, "I wouldn't lease this stock," and I, and then he went on about buying this company, El Dorado Gold, and I and I thought, right, this again before you had this plethora of knowledge, there was no Robin Hood, there was no, you still had TD Waterhouse that would take four days to like place a trade or three days to place a trade for you, and uh, <laughs> you know, and I stupidly I bought El Dorado Gold instead of Tesla. Well, you're not the you're not the first person. You're not the first person to follow Kramer in that. I'm an set. idiot. I, I genuinely have never forgiven him for that. There's a hey, and you're not the first one to do that either. That's for sure. I, I love Kramer. Kramer is one of the first investment books I've ever read. I think he he is brilliant in his own right, but also I love the fact that there's an inverse Jim Kramer like Twitter account and ETF. Um, so it's. It's definitely interesting, but yeah, I think every, again, and this goes back to like, we've come full circle in the points. This goes back to every investor having those moments, right? Of like that, oh crap moment. And I think that's really the theme of diversification and what we're looking at in 2023 is, you know, 60, 40 doesn't work or there's a better way of doing it at least. Yeah. So maybe it's 50, 30, 20 at this point. And that 20 that you're going to allocate outside of the stock and stocks and bonds is is purely your hedge that's your consistent return that's your passive income so when you have moments when you're like crap i listened to jim cramer and this didn't pan out you have a bit of a safety net or at least that's what you're striving to have again 
risk guarantees, all of that risk exists. Nothing is ever guaranteed. So total disclaimer there, but, and that goes across all investing, but that's really, I think what a lot of people now are, are looking at and because they watched it, it's the volatility spikes are wild recession. I mean, you're only ever one bad day away for, it seems at this point of, of everything tanking again or everything going back to a bull. I mean, we experienced a bull market for almost 10 years now over the last few it's up and down and it's all over the place. So it, it's going to take a bit of time to get back to that. And I think hopefully a new, a new standard comes out of this and we learn for the better. Well, let's hope there is definitely that progression. Uh, Joseph, it's been great to have you with us today. Uh, thank you very much. And I'm, yeah, looking forward to seeing what uh, SuperVest do next. Absolutely. You as well. And uh, for everybody, again, it's SuperVest.com. Free to sign up. Check out the site. You could schedule a meeting with any of our investment professionals. We're standing by. I'll even hop on the phone with you if you have any questions at all. Um, you can follow us. It's at Instagram and Instagram and uh, YouTube everywhere you could find us. Awesome. Brilliant. Joseph, thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much. Pleasure.